Good afternoon, my friends. It's wonderful to be with you again today. We are going through the book of Psalms on this Facebook study that happens every Tuesday and Thursday afternoons, 3 p.m. Central Time, live on my Facebook page right here. And then it, of course, stays on there. And then it's posted, shared to our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page, and then later to our westirwin.com uh, social media and resources, uh, live stream page to video archive. So that's where all of that is. And we have a lot more stuff there. Of course, a lot more stuff if you scroll down on my Facebook page as well. Uh, this past week, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, we were in the Word of God as we have been. And we looked at a few Psalms that were specifically uh, focused on the Word of God, including the longest psalm this past Thursday, Psalm 119. And today is a natural follow-up to that, and uh, I'll share that in just a minute. Nice to see that my cousin Gail is listening. I love the graphic there. Well done. Uh, had some friends that uh, uh, called in, came by this week. We appreciate all of that. Always good to see and talk to folks. Um, I know my friends David and Elaine Bell uh, I hate missing them when they come by or call in, but uh, glad that everyone is staying safe. Uh, we certainly want to continue to remember our nation and our world and our communities during this very difficult time and uh, continue to keep all of those who are struggling through this pandemic uh, uh, with our prayers and our encouragement for healing. And of course, our nation as we go through a very important political climate during this election year. Um, as I said, last week was God's word. Uh, today um, is uh, about a sinner, a sinner who sinned horribly, horribly. Some of the, just the most horrible sins that you can imagine, this man uh, did them. And then he turned back uh, to God. And I say back to God because he was described as the man after God's own heart earlier in his life. And even in the New Testament, he is talked about as the man after God's own heart, uh, described when God called him to be king. And, uh, and yet he sinned in the worst imaginable ways and cried out to God for forgiveness. And I know each of us has sins of our own, and and we hurt over those things. We are ashamed. We wonder how God could ever forgive us. We wonder how God could ever allow us to be in his presence again or to even um, try to work and accomplish his will again. And yet these psalms that we're looking at today and this story that we're mentioning today are a great reminder that God does exactly that. He forgives us and he allows us to continue to be in his presence and to continue to maintain his Holy Spirit within us and to even do his mission and accomplish his will. Uh, and so I'm glad to be able to say that that's where we are. Uh, today we are in what is called the penitential Psalms, Psalms of penitence. Psalms that seek God's forgiveness. It's related to the word repent and repentance. Uh, Peter tells us in Acts 2.38 to repent and be baptized. Uh, Jesus tells us in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Um, and that word means change. Repent means to change. And the penitential psalms are called that because they involve a change of heart. They involve a sinner crying out to God for forgiveness because they have repented. They have done exactly that. They have repented. And uh, uh, scripture talks about that. Uh, Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 7 when he uh, describes what true repentance is. It's not just sorrow that we have sinned. It's not even just sorrow that we've gotten caught and now had to pay a price, but rather it is uh, not worldly sorrow at all, but it's godly sorrow. It's godly sorrow that leads you to change. That's repentance. The man that we're talking about today had some horrible, horrible, tragic sins that affected not just himself, but his family, another family, and the whole kingdom of Israel. And of course, today I'm talking about King David. He's described as the man after God's own heart. When God rejected King Saul because of his sinful disobedience, um, God told Samuel, I've found a man after my own heart, and I'm going to put him on the throne. And it was King David. And, and he was a man after God's own heart, and he continued to be that but he also fell and fell uh, deeply into sin. Um, we read about that in 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11 begins with the springtime when kings go off to war. Uh, David stayed in Jerusalem at his palace and one night he saw the beautiful Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop. And uh, because he was the king, because he could abuse his power, uh, he did just that, and he called for her to come, and he uh, made love with to her, and he uh, sent her home, and then she sent word back to the king, I am pregnant. And the king, wanting to cover up his sin, like we do so many times, uh, instead of repenting right then and taking responsibility for what he had done and seeking God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of Bathsheba and her family and the forgiveness of, of the nation, King David tried to hide his sin. And because he was king, he sends a message to Joab, the commander, and he tells him, hey, send Uriah back to me. That's Bathsheba's husband, one of David's closest and most loyal followers and fighting men. Uh, send Uriah back to me. And so Joab, of course, obeys the king, sends him back. David greets Uriah and he says, hey, look, you're doing great out there. How are things going? Listen, why don't you go home, you know, take a bath. Um, uh, get in bed with your wife, get get that camp and war time off of you, and and um, you deserve this. And Uriah doesn't do it. He's too loyal a man, not just to King David, but to his fellow soldiers. And he says, "Look, they're they're in battle, they're away from home. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that." And so he sleeps on the porch, basically. And David is told, "Hey, Uriah didn't didn't go home." And um, and so King David calls him back again, and this time he has him at, over for dinner at the palace and, and drinks and food and get, tries to get him drunk and tells him, go home and sleep with your wife, and, and Uriah still won't do it. And so David sends him back, but this time with a sealed envelope, so to speak, uh, with sealed orders inside it, and says, look, don't open this. Just give it to, you, to Joab, the commander. And of course, Uriah, as loyal as he is, doesn't try to find out what's in there gives it to Joab, and, the, and the, the sealed message is simply this. King David tells Joab, the commander, put Uriah on the front lines, right where the battle is the fiercest, and when the fighting is really, really bad, have everybody else pull back. And basically, 
what David was telling Joab to do was, was to have Uriah killed. It wouldn't have been much different for David to send the message to Joab, hey, just put him in front of a firing squad and kill him. That's basically what he was doing. So, um, sure enough, Uriah is killed, and Joab sends a message back to King David and says, hey, uh, the battle is going really bad. I mean, it is, we're, we're taking a lot of losses, but one of those losses is, is your servant Uriah. And David, still, still deeply engaged in his sinful attitude, says, well, you know, that's what happens in war. People die. So don't don't think tell Joab don't don't feel bad. Well, and then of course Bathsheba uh, mourns, does the mourning period for her husband, and then King David marries her, and he thinks he's off scot free. But God sends Nathan the prophet in Second Samuel twelve, the very next chapter, and Nathan tells him this incredible story about a man who had uh, one lamb, and it was like a part of the family, and a neighbor who was very wealthy and had all kinds of livestock. And the neighbor had unexpected company come in, and, and so because he had power, he abused it, and he took that man's pet lamb, basically, and killed it so he could serve his uh, out-of-town guests. And, uh, and, and David says, I, I can't believe that. That's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. And Nathan points his finger at David and says, you are that man. And to David's credit, he doesn't have Nathan killed, although he could have. You know, preachers, we get the worst jobs, and that was a bad job that Nathan had to do to go confront King David, who had already had Uriah killed and would have killed anybody else. Uh, he had the power to do it. He had the power to take advantage of Bathsheba, which he did. He had the power to have Uriah killed in battle, which he did. Um, and, uh, and now Nathan confronts him, and to David's credit, he repents. He truly, truly repents. How do you know that, Bill? Well, Psalm 51 is the song that David writes in his shame, in his guilt, crying out to God for forgiveness. And it's a wonderful psalm for when you feel the same way and you're having trouble putting into words how deeply you have hurt God, how deeply you have hurt your loved ones, how deeply perhaps you have hurt the church. Um, this is this this is the prayer that you offer, and that's exactly what it is. It is a prayer of penitence, a prayer seeking God's forgiveness. We talked about the headings of the Psalms earlier in this study at the very beginning, and this one is a great example of that. Again, headings not inspired, but likely accurate as best we can tell. And this psalm uh, in Psalm 51 says, for the director of music in the headings, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Again, the best way to know whether that's accurate or not is to read the psalm, and the psalm certainly by its content demonstrates that. And so we're going to look through this psalm and two more uh, this afternoon. The next one is a psalm that we'll look at that David writes um, in response to the forgiveness that he receives. Um, first of all, in Psalm 51, we're just going to go through it. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 
against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You sought me, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. And so let's deal with those last few verses first. I don't think that that's saying that we, when we are, are born or even when we are in the womb, that we are guilty of sin. Uh, that's inconsistent with other scripture that says we are responsible for our own sins. For example, in Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins is the soul that shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon them and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon them. That's how God deals with us. He deals with us individually. But at the same time, what David is uh, saying is I am completely 100% a sinful man. Um, and one of the great things about this prayer, about this section even, is that David doesn't try to justify his sin at all. Not at all. He could have said, well, I was king. He could have said, well, uh, my, you know, my men were away. I felt bad about that. He could have said, I, I was out of my mind. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, the pressures of being king were just too much. He doesn't say any of those things. And he recognizes that his sin is against God. Yes, he sinned greatly against Bathsheba. Um, in a way, David was the first offender of the Me Too movement. I mean, David took advantage of this woman. And um, whereas Bathsheba is responsible for her sin, that's true. It was David who was the man in power. It was David who was the authority, David who was the king. And um, and he took advantage of that and he took advantage of Bathsheba um, and he sinned against her. He sinned against her husband, Uriah. Certainly he sinned against him by sleeping with his wife. But he also, of course, murdered, had Uriah killed, basically murdered her husband to try to cover up his sin. He sinned against the nation. They had entrusted him with leadership and um, he was supposed to be the guy and yet he wasn't. And so, and yet in spite of all of those things, which are all true, David says against you, God, and you only have I sinned. Ultimately, our sin is against God. It's not against any human person. Yes, we do sin against them in a sense, but ultimately our sins are, uh, we, we are responsible to God for our sins. And so he says, God, you're right when you say guilty. Whatever punishment you give me is you're you're justified. You're justified. And he continues his prayer in verse seven. Cleanse me with hyssop, kind of a soapy kind of thing. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Uh, we hear lots of great songs inspired from this great chapter. Verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Those great words of David, that heart reaching out to God for cleansing and for renewal 
and verses 10 through 12 have inspired a lot of songs. I think of a few. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Let me be like you in all my ways. A song that I remember from back in the early acapella days, I believe. And another one. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. And that song goes on and almost word for word uh, shares from those three verses, Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. This is the song we can sing. This is a prayer we can pray when we are overcome with our sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Verse 13, then, and to David's credit again, he doesn't just leave it at forgiveness. He says, look, God, I, I'm going to do right. This is true repentance, not just to ask God for forgiveness, but to say, I'm going to do better and to mean it. Uh, and that's what he says beginning in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you just like I have done, he could have said. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And then verse 16, I think is so significant. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Sounds very much like the Old Testament prophets, especially Micah 6, verse 8, when he says, what shall I come before the Lord? What can I bring? What kind of sacrifice should I? How about how about my own child? Could I sacrifice my own child for the sin of my soul, he says? And then he says in Micah 6, verse 8, no, uh, he has shown you what is good and what is acceptable, what God accepts uh, to do justly, uh, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God to act right, to act justly, uh, to love mercy, to be merciful to others. Uh, just as Jesus said in the Lord's prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, to, to do justly, to act right, to love mercy, to forgive and to walk humbly with your God. Truly David did that. Uh, truly David did that. And that's what he says, a broken and contrite heart is what God will not despise. Uh, the sacrifices, just as uh, Hosea had said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And yet throughout the Old Testament, including in the prophets, they call on them to make those sacrifices. And that was the right thing to do. Just as in the New Testament, we're called upon to give our lives as living sacrifices. Romans 12, verse one, we're called upon to offer up praise and worship and honor to, to God and to serve others by doing good and helping them where we can. All of those things are right and good, but none of those things bring forgiveness. What brings forgiveness is that broken heart, that contrite spirit, that call to that looks to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We know, David didn't, we do, that through that blood we can have forgiveness of sins, just like Jesus said, just like he promised the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Uh, Luke 19, verse 10 to Zacchaeus, the, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, that great passage in Matthew chapter 20 and of course John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Um, all of those great, great verses, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. David didn't know anything about Jesus, but he knew about the forgiveness of God. And so he pours out his heart, and he brings that broken heart and that contrite spirit to God. Verse 18, may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Isn't it great how David has that in the right alt order? You don't start with the sacrifices and the worship. You start with the broken heart. But the great thing about David in this psalm is that he says, look, I, I'll bring all of those. I promise I'll, I'll sing your praises. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll offer up the sacrifices. I'll do it all, but I'll do it, Father, only after I've brought myself before you in a, a penitent heart, uh, a broken heart, a contrite spirit. That's what David says, and, and, and that's what we do as well today. We bring our broken heart to to Christ. Bring him your broken life, your broken heart, your sinful uh, state, uh, and he will create anew, make whole again. That that wonderful invitation song uh, taken from, probably inspired from these very words. Well, where does that leave David? Do we know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story? Well, we kind of do because it's found in Psalm 32. This is another great Psalm, another Psalm that according to the heading is uh, attributed to King David. And, it, and again, you look at the content and you realize this Psalm goes right along with Psalm 51 because in Psalm 51, David is aware of his sin. He pours out his heart to God, asking for God's forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart, accept my broken contrite spirit. Uh, all of those things. And in Psalm 32, it's a response to him knowing that God has forgiven him. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. I love the way this Psalm starts out because he doesn't say blessed is the one who hasn't sinned. He doesn't say, blessed is the one who is completely uh, sinless before God, but rather David, and he knows this firsthand now. David said, blessed is the one whose sins the Lord has forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are covered. Blessed is the one who knows that God is no longer counting his sins against him. David knew that. We do too. We do too. And I love what he does next because he tells his story. He speaks autobiographically about what happened when he tried to cover up his sin, when he tried to bring Uriah back and uh, make him sleep with his wife and he wouldn't do it. And when he tried to, to marry Bathsheba after he had Uriah put to death in battle and, and thought that he could keep that sin inside himself, but he could not. Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Don't you know that? Haven't you experienced that? Realizing that you're trying to hold your sinfulness in. You don't want to confess it to God. You certainly don't want to confess it to anybody else. And yet inside you, it's just eating away. It's just tearing you up from the inside out. That's what David said was going on with him. Then, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. In the New Testament, John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, in 1 John chapter 1 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David felt that. He experienced that. If I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, he says, finally I said that, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And God does that even still today. And if you're holding on to your sin and it's eating away at your insides, confess it to God first of all. And then confess it if you need to, to a trusted friend. Scripture says in James to confess our sins one to another and to pray for one another so that we can be healed and forgiven. And that's still true today. Uh, and that's what you do. You find a trusted friend or two, or if you feel like you need to, you, you go forward at the invitation song or you communicate to one of the elders or ministers that you've sinned and you need the prayers of the church. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 8 when uh, that man that thought that Philip was a big deal, Simon the sorcerer, and he thought, wow, this guy is really something I want. I want to buy this gift of God so that everyone I lay my hands on, like the apostles Peter and John did, in Acts 8, that they'll receive the Holy Spirit too, and 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 Peter condemns him, and uh, and and Simon has the right response. He says, "Pray for me, so that none of the things you've said will happen to me." He wasn't rebaptized, but he was he was prayed over, and I think that's what we do too when we confess our sins to each other and we pray for one another, so that we can receive that same forgiveness that David experienced. Psalm 32, verse 6, continuing on. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. David is now talking to the people around him. And he's been saying, look, this is what I did. This is what happened to me. This is what happened when I tried to hold it in. And this is what happened when I confessed my sin and received God's forgiveness. And now he says, I'm telling you, you need to do the same thing. Don't hold it in. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to others. Receive his forgiveness. Receive the help and hope and encouragement and prayers that come from your Christian family. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Don't be stubborn in your sin, David is saying. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. What a great statement that verse 10 is of Psalm 32. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Even though he is a sinner, remember he started out by saying, blessed is the one whose sins the Lord has forgiven. 
That's the person who trusts in the Lord and the Lord surrounds him with his love. Verse 11 then ends this great Psalm. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. And again, he's not talking about people who've never sinned. <laughs> he's already made that very, very clear. But he's talking about the ones who have owned up to their sin, who have acknowledged it before God and who have received God's forgiveness. If you're holding on to some sin today, I hope that you will confess it to God, that you will, like David, promise in your penitence that you will change, that you have truly repented. And if you need help, get it. When you need others to pray for you, ask them to. And be as specific as you can. Find trustworthy people, of course. And you don't have to tell all the gory details to anybody, much less to the whole church. But you may need to bring in a couple of people that know you and know what's happened and are there for you to be able to help you. It's one of the great things about the anonymous groups like AA and NA because they, they provide somebody that you can call when you're having a hard time, when you're struggling, when you're ready to fall, and they can help you through that. Um, David is one of those people. He says, look, call me and I'll help. I, I, I'll tell you how to do this because I did it wrong at first and then I did it right. And I can tell you that confessing your sins before the Lord is the right thing to do. Um, what a great, great statement. Paul, the apostle, understood that as well. Uh, as he tells his story uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and reminds Timothy that, hey, you know who I am? I was a blasphemer. I was uh, an evil, wicked, violent man. Um, but God forgave me. And if he can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. Uh, that great statement of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so we read one more psalm today, and it's Psalm 130. This is a psalm in that section uh, that starts at about at, at Psalm 120 and, um, and are, is a, a group called the Psalms of Ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. We'll cover those in a couple of weeks or so. These are psalms that the Israelites would sing as they were going to church. They were psalms that they would sing on the road as they were going probably traveling to Jerusalem, perhaps for one of the great festivals like the Passover or Tabernacles or something like that. And, and Psalm 130 is one of those, but it's also a psalm that is uh, geared uh, for us who have experienced great sins, who have been responsible for those sins and, and accountable and confessed them and have received the Lord's great forgiveness. And this is a great psalm to sing. Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. What a great statement. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no one. No one except the Savior. No one except the one who was tempted in every way, just like we are, the writer of Hebrews says, yet never sinned. No one else can say that. Not me, not you, not King David, not anyone else, only the Lord. And that's why he is that perfect lamb of God uh, and gave his life for us on the cross so that by his blood, by his stripes, by his suffering, by his death, we are the ones who are healed and saved and forgiven. O oh Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? No one. 
known. But with you, verse 4, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Again, we, we are able to serve him and continue to worship him and to be in his presence and to do his will and to even minister to others. Verse 5, the psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. And and, and we understand that, right? That person who is watching and who is worried and anxious and trying to be safe and, and praying for daylight, uh, just as Paul and those who were with him in Acts 27 on that ship that was falling apart right in front of them. They knew land was coming and they were scared to death. They were going to be uh, uh, shattered on the rocks of the beach. And yet uh, they were praying for daylight. They did everything they could and then they prayed that the sun would rise. And that's what the psalmist talks about here. I'm waiting for you, Lord. I'm waiting for you like the watchman that, that is ready for that daylight to come so that the people and he can be safe again. That's the kind of longing that a sinful heart has, that one who has a sinful, contrite heart that David talks about in Psalm 51, that one who has experienced and is looking for the Lord's forgiveness, as Paul, as David said in, in the 32nd Psalm. Here, the psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord, verse 5, my whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. We sing a song sometimes standing on the promises of God. It's in God's word that we have put our hope. And that word, yes, brings a word of judgment and calls us to live a faithful life. But that word also is a word of forgiveness. It's a word of mercy. It's a word of promise that says if you come to God with your sins, rather than letting them stay inside of you and eat you up from the inside out, if you will confess your sins, Jesus says, I will forgive your sins. He will forgive us. Uh, I will confess you before my Father. Jesus says, if you'll confess me before others, if we confess our sins, again, from 1 John 1, he is faithful, he is righteous, he is just, he is loving, and he will forgive us our sins. And so this great psalm ends in Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Don't put your hope in yourself. Don't put your hope in your own righteousness and your own obedience. It's not enough. If you have one failing, one sin, then you cannot be saved on your own. Listen to the promises of God who says, come to me. Jesus said in Matthew 11, that great chapter, those great verses at the end of Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises forgiveness if we will come to him. If we will come to him and confess our sins, he will allow us to let that blood that he shed for our sins overtake our sinfulness, and we will once more as David prayed, have that clean heart, have that right spirit, uh, be white and pure as the driven snow in the eyes of God uh, and not filthy because of our own sins. What sins are you holding on to? What sins are you holding inside, refusing to confess? 
Be open and honest with God. Pour out your heart to God. Confess those sins. Seek his forgiveness and and reach out to others to help you and to, to that you can be accountable to, but that can also be prayerful for you. And then once you receive God's grace and forgiveness, will you tell somebody about that? Will you look to others who are experiencing what you've experienced and tell your story? You don't have to get into details, but you can tell them, hey, look, David knew what it was like to receive God's forgiveness after holding it inside and then he poured out his heart. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, knew what it was like uh, to carry his sin within him. And yet he realized that the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners, he called himself, could even be forgiven. And so he says plainly, God did this so that everyone will know if God can forgive David, if God can forgive Saul, God can forgive me. He can forgive you and he can forgive those individuals that need you to go to them and say, here is the good news, the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead and that people saw him and attest to that fact. First Corinthians uh, 15 starts out with what a great, great statement. That's what God has called us to do. You can have a fresh start today. Just as that great song says, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. God offers you that forgiveness and he offers that forgiveness to others. Maybe you might be able to tell them about this particular message about Psalms 32, Psalm 51, and Psalm 130 and help them to come to know the great, loving, forgiving God who will cleanse them, create in them a clean, pure heart and renew a right spirit within them as well. May God bless you and enable you to do exactly that.